All right, so I'm Steve. Some of you don't know me. Um, probably most of you don't know me. Um, and so, yeah, I'm part of the ETS group. Um, I've been coming here for probably about eight months, uh, maybe a little over that, and uh, got kind of plugged in pretty quickly with this ETS group. Um, Pastor Ben, uh, we, we were, I met him actually at swimming lessons with my kids, and we sort of sat and talked about some stuff, and I was attending a different church at the time, and uh, I realized that there was there was some tugging on my heart um, by God that um, the church that I was attending, there was some, some, for lack of a better way of saying it, it, the word wasn't being brought to its fullest, I suppose. And so it was a tough, uh, a tough thing that I kind of went through. Um, so God's been working in me in tremendous ways um, over the past, I guess, eight months it's really been. Um, and, and I would say even to back up before then, uh, about two years ago, um, I actually became an elder at the church that I was attending at the time. And um, that's when I really started to take my faith seriously. Um, and and I've, always, you know, I, I've always believed that there was something out there, and, and I had, uh, I, I suppose, a faith in me, and I, um, I didn't really take it seriously. I was, that, I was that husband that my amazing wife uh, brought, brought to church, and I'd, I'd find more interest in my fantasy football league or, or my eyelids. And, and that's a reality. A lot of, a lot of guys um, do. And so, but that's not the person I am today, and I'm so thankful for God's grace in that. Um, so uh, a few weeks ago, um, Margaret Strobach sent me a text message. She says, Pastor Ben wants to know if you'd like to preach on one of the Thursday nights. And I, I ended up calling her back, if, or I talked to her actually at church, and she says, hey, did you get my text message? And I was like, yeah, I ignored it. She's like, oh, okay. And I said, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready for this. And so then I saw Ben like a, a couple minutes later, and I was like, you never believe what, you believe what happened. Margaret asked me if I'd preach. And he goes, so are you going to do it? I was like, well, I mean, I, I, I tried it one time. I, I sort of had this men's retreat thing that I went to, and and I, I don't even necessarily believe the, the things that I was trying to teach back then. So I want to mess this thing up. God's going to look down on me and go, lightning, lightning, and that's not going to be good for me. And Ben goes, that's funny you say that. I'm actually the perfect pastor. It's like, what? It's like, yeah, I've never made a single mistake in my entire life on the pulpit. I was like, oh, I see what you're doing here. So uh, that's the difference, I think, between... Um, a loving pastor, and, and one who will just sort of let you do what you're going to do. And Ben is a loving pastor, and aren't we so blessed to have a pastor like him? It's like a pastor that's willing to challenge you, to me, is, is amazing. So um, I have been learning a lot about this really cool thing uh, called apologetics. I have a friend named Aaron Dalen, and he gave me this book by this guy I'd never heard of before, Vody Bauckham, um, and he's an amazing apologist, um, and he, he gives me this book called Expository Apologetics. I was like, mm, cool, and, but because it was a gift, I, I may as well read it, you know, and I, I, I dig into it, and, and it's not very long before I realize, holy cow, <laughs> this is amazing. This is not something I've heard before. Why don't I know this stuff? I'm a guy in my mid-30s, and I'm just now learning about this stuff. This is not good for the Church of America, for the Church of the world. So um, 
I also, when I was an elder at the church I was attending, um, we were called as elders to um, dig into our phones and call everyone we knew during this COVID pandemic and um, find out when they planned on coming back to church. And so I spent nine hours on a, on a Thursday and called 15 of the guys and, uh, that were the people that I had, um, had done and still do life with. Um, and uh, a lot of them, most of them, in fact, said, well, we're, we're not coming back. We've, we've moved churches. You see, this pandemic has given us this opportunity to sort of shop around online, and you have all of these um, you know, different churches, and we've been really convicted that we want to be learning from the Bible. And boy, it was a hard thing to hear as, as someone who was taking this role as elder, who probably by, the, by that time, I have to admit, I probably was not ready to take on a role like that. Um, but you know, God, God has his timing, right? And so in this book that I'm reading, um, I come across this, um, this verse, 1 Peter 3.15. Um, and that has been um, the, the main focus of my studies um, as of late. And so we have this uh, problem that I, that I came across um, when I called these people on my phone and I realized that there's this mass exodus, right? Um, and this is just the people in my own phone, not the rest of the elders' phone. So um, the, the question that I have, and I, I'm going to try out this clicker thing. You see, I'm 36 years old, but I have like an, I have a, and my wife will probably laugh at this because she knows it's true. I have a, 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 not mechanical, but a, what do you call this stuff? Computer literacy of maybe like an 85-year-old or so. So I'm going to try to figure, figure this thing out. Sorry. Some of you are actually probably better than I am. Anyone got a shovel I could dig myself a hole here with? So why are Christians leaving the faith? Um, that is a, a, a big thing happening um, all around the world. We have so many uh, pastors who, for some reason or another, and I, and I really believe that it has a lot to do with our um, culture um, and, and, and people-pleasing in general, um, so a few verses um, have caught my attention. One is uh, Matthew 24, 11, um, and 12. Then many false prophets rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many shall grow cold. Another one caught my attention. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4. Uh, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and that man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So that got me thinking, this kind of has to happen. It's, It's not what we want to happen but it's going to happen. Um, and we're up against it, right? So there's this thing called apostasy. Um, see if I can. The definition of apostasy is the act of refusing to continue to follow, obey, or recognize a religious faith or abandonment of a previous loyalty defection. And that's the problem that we're facing, right? People are leaving. And um, I think that there are a few really big um, things going on that we ought to pay attention to. One of those things is social media. Um, that has become 
uh, a place or a, a podium for people to speak their minds without any recourse. And that's a dangerous thing. Um, you have anti-Christian memes among um, the younger generations, um, and a lot of them have, have a lot of sarcastic humor in them. And so if you're already an unbeliever, it's pretty funny stuff. You think it's really funny, and then all of a sudden, it's when, when, when enough times you hear a lie, maybe it becomes the truth. Maybe this isn't real, right? And that's a, a big thing. And then you have, just with computers and technology alone, there's so much sin at our fingertips, right? The issues of pornography are real. The issues of, of, of social media and getting into these political arguments, it's real. Um, and then you have people fusing the Gospels with politics, and that's a, another dangerous path to take, because where are our politics supposed to be, right? I don't vote on stuff because it's red or blue. I vote on it because it's the right thing. It's what Jesus would have us do. Our education system is another reason for apostasy, right? There's wrongful indoctrination all over. So many things that are being taught in schools right now that I would never want my children to learn. And so if, if you do have children attending public schools, I pray for you that you would rightfully indoctrinate your children. Um, when they come home and, and, and you ask them, what is it that you've learned today? Um, if it's not right with God, then correct it. That's our job. Um, you have LGBTQ plus, I don't know the other ones, um, issues as well. And you have so many people that um, are essentially stealing from the Bible with the, well, you ought to love your neighbor, right? You got to love it's, it's love. I'm, I'm loving, I'm not hurting anyone with my love, am I? And so if you're not pro-gay or you're not pro-trans, then you're known automatically as a bigot. And your convictions, um, because of your beliefs, aren't loving. Your God must not be loving either then. Another issue that we see are superficial sermons across America, everywhere. And they're preaching a bunch of TED Talks that make us feel good. And maybe you might wonder, well, if I'm so good. What the heck am I doing here? <laughs> so then you have people easily becoming offended, right? So you, you have this social, this goes back to the social media bit. It's so easy to speak your mind um, and say things that you would never say to a person in front of them. But it's so easy when you've got this keyboard and you become this, they call them keyboard warriors, you know, and you get into these debates online and you can speak your mind and and while you're speaking your mind you can have another screen open up over here um, let me research this topic while I'm talking to this person and I mean let me take 20 minutes to come up with my response to see how badly I can make them feel so people are losing hope it's a scary time that we're living in so again I, I come up with this thing called apologetics and I, I believe that that's a remedy for what we're dealing with is our first Ministry, men, fathers, husbands, is our wives and our kids. That's first. So Pastor Ben taught me that. And it's funny because in my marriage, I've been married, thank God for his graciousness, um, for 15 years. Um, and it's uh, just about 15 years, sorry. August 7th will be 15 years. August 11th will be 15 years. <laughs> Typical guy. So... August 11th, 07. There is a seven in there somewhere, I promise. Um, and so my wife, for the last 
13 years, the first 13 years of our marriage um, was my spiritual leader. That's not right. It's not how it should be. It's not how it ought to be. So as I heard that, um, I realized that something has to change. So I, I began to ha- kind of start to do, starting to do that on my own just before I came to uh, this church, really when I became an elder at, at, at my previous church. And um, it was important to me, and I wanted to show with gusto that I was doing all the right stuff, and, and I was doing a pretty good job, I felt. And, and then I realized there are some really big things happening that are convicting me that there's some incorrect um, teaching, at least that I, I, to, to my knowledge. And, and so it was this issue of having um, female elders on the board. <clears throat> and so I was so confused because it was an idea that I was fine with before. I had no really, I hadn't really had a th- any kind of thoughts about that. And so as I studied, I began to realize that there are, um, uh, the reason for having um, our husbands uh, or our elders um, as the spiritual authority has everything to do with order, right? So I am being told by a lot of people on this side that I have looked up to for the last you know, six years that I went to that church and that I've looked up to and, and trusted. And then I have some people over here, some of my friends and some other people that some some people that I'm just beginning to come to know, and um, and they're telling me something that's completely opposite. And so I feel like this rock stuck between this, or uh, what do you call it, a, a person stuck between a rock and a hard place. And that was hard because I had to eventually go. Wait a minute, maybe I should open my Bible and <laughs> figure this out. Um, and ultimately, that's what I had to do. And so uh, when we are convicted of of something. It's really important to make sure that we're careful and when we exposit the text. And so I will just in the, um, um, how Calvary does it is we stand and read the scripture that we're studying for the day. So if you can, um, let's stand and read 1 Peter 3.15. Let's read this out loud together. 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Amen. God, so I just pray today that your word would shine bright through what's being taught and that we would go away with conviction and men would lead their families, and that we would revere the word with the utmost authority. God, we pray this in your son's amazing name. Amen. All right. So, so there are these things called imperatives in 1 Peter 3.15. There's three of them. And so an imperative is uh, not to be avoided or evaded, which means it's necessary. I think that means it's pretty important. Um, or of relating to or constituting the grammatical mood that expresses the will to influence the behavior of another. And so when studying the scriptures and expositing the text, i got to scroll down on my own here, but sanctify, that's our, our first part of our first imperative. So 
sanctify, um, the Hebrew word hagiatso is to make holy, that is ceremonially, purify or consecrate, mentally to venerate, hallow, be holy, sanctify. That's the strong, the strongest concordance uh, definition for sanctify. Um, so, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. So that is the first imperative. So before we can teach someone, we have to be right with God first. We can't be teaching from a cold, empty heart. We have to be teaching if first we're already right with God. It would be backwards to try to teach someone something um, when you, you would be a hypocrite to teach someone when you aren't already right with God first. So moving on here, and always be ready. And that one's hard for me because uh, I don't have a biblical background. Um, I, I grew up um, in a home where we, we went to church when I was a kid, um, and we didn't go super long, and then I didn't grow up in a, a Christian home. And so I don't have um, a strong biblical background. And that's okay, because I'm learning now. But when we are to always be ready, this means when someone asks us a question, then we ought to be prepared in some way to respond to that. So sometimes the answer to that question is, well, actually, I, I, I don't know. And there's nothing wrong with that. As long as the following is, I will figure it out, and we're going to have this conversation. Let's, let's get back to this conversation, okay? So I'm doing this dance with my laptop here and this little clicker. So I'm not used to that. So to give a defense... And that is where we get the word apologetics from. Is the Greek is apol or apologia, which is a defense, especially of one's opinions, positions, or actions. And that's where we get the word apologetics. So that is when we're asked, right? So we need to always be ready to give this defense to everyone who asks you. And that can get uncomfortable when it's your grandpa, right? When your grandpa doesn't know the Lord, he starts asking you questions, and you go, oh. All of a sudden, your parents are asking you questions. If your parents don't know the Lord, and you go, oh. <laughs> Somehow, the roles are reversed here, and now I'm your spiritual authority here. But that's important, because your parents are still everyone, right? A reason for the hope that is in you. <clears throat> so that is another imperative. The reason when, when we're always to be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. That now means you have to know what it is that you believe, right? So doctrinally, you have to know everything that you believe. If you don't know that it's something that you believe and you haven't come to believe something yet, now it's your job to figure it out. Then my favorite part of this whole thing, with meekness and fear. So we have this definition for meekness, and I actually took two definitions, one from the uh, Strong Concordance and one from the um, Merriam-Webster Dictionary. And so the first one is Strong's. It says mildness, humility, and that's for meekness. And then the word meek is enduring injury with patience and without resentment. So we know that we're always going to be up against it. We're going to have conversations with people that we love, people that we know people that we look up to, people that we don't know very well, 
people that don't like us, and people are going to say some mean things. And it's up to us to hold on to our cool and teach them what we know with reverence and respect, with respect to God. If we're finding ourselves getting into a battle of some sort, right, an argument, that's not what we want. We want to debate with love. There's a lot of, a lot of guys um, like to, especially young guys, like to puff up their chests about apologetics. Oh, I'm good at this. I know what I'm talking about. I'm going to get you. And then they forget something in it. They've won an argument, but the argument's empty unless you respect the person and then you bring them back to the cross. See, apologetics is important, but it's nothing if you don't bring the gospel into it. Otherwise, we're just arguing to argue, to win an argument, to be competitive. I'm super competitive. I love to win. Don't get me wrong. But it's weightless if it's without reverence and without bringing someone back to the cross. The fear of the Lord, excuse me, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So that's what we mean when we say meekness and fear. So we now have a working definition for apologetics, to be ready to make a defense for what you believe and why you believe it in a winsome and effective manner, right? Can we be effective if we just win arguments? So what if, what if I don't really know what to say? I mean, I know what I believe, but this person's really good at arguing. They're really smart. They're asking really hard questions. Well, Matthew 10, 19, and 20 says, But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So this is Jesus talking to his disciples and encouraging them that they don't need to worry about what to say when they're in the midst of persecution. And we know as Christians that no matter what, we're going to face persecution. We're against, we are against the culture. And persecution is not a failure from God to protect them. It's intended as a part of God's plan. When asked, they will be given what to say by the Holy Spirit in the moment that it's needed. So what does apologetics look like in practice? I'm going to start by reading Acts 17.22. So Paul is in Athens, and we know, we know Paul to be one of the greatest teachers um, in the Bible. And guess what? He uses apologetics. It's pretty cool. It says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth. So he's bringing us to creation here. Right? Does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives life, it gives to all life, breath and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth 
and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him through, or though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, and also some of you, some of your own poets have said. So he's now bringing in context that they know. For we are also his offspring of God. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and by man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. So there's a call of repentance here. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will, hear, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him, believed, among them Dionysus, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. What I found to be really cool in this is, that's okay, God can be cool, is that uh, Paul admits here that while he used apologetics, that he didn't win every single one of them over. And that should give us a great sense of relief because we're not going to win every single person over. That's not even our job. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in them, right? Our job is simply to defend what we believe. So 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So something that's pretty important here is this word humility and correcting. So when we are correcting those, we have to be very careful. We have to hear them where they're at. So we have this three-step process. One is to listen well. People are going to talk. You're going to want to interrupt them, but don't. Don't interrupt them. Be genuine. Don't try to fill in the blanks for them. It's super tempting. Trust me. Repeat back to them what, what it is they're trying to say um, so that they know that you understand and that you listened to them. You're not better than them, so listen to their worldview because it's not their worldview that matters, it's their value. They're still God's children. Your ideas and your opinions also should hold as much weight as theirs. And so that's something that we can hold on to as well. And our goal shouldn't be to manipulate anyone. We can let the scriptures do the talking. Instead, we should be faithful, right? And let the Holy Spirit do the convincing. And that's going to come with a lot of patience. The next step is to gently oppose so when people are super passionate, they're holding on to a little bit of truth somewhere, usually, right? So back to my previous example, well, I, I know I'm a homosexual, but what's wrong with it? They, they're still, I, I love them, and, and they love me, and we, we love each other, and God says we should love each other. Well, they're holding on to 
a biblical principle, but they're basing it on their worldview. They don't know that it's a biblical principle. So that's where we can come in and teach them. So if you listen well, you'll be able to pinpoint where their moral premise comes in and then where the inconsistency is. And then we gently oppose. The good thing that you're arguing is taken directly from my biblical view and you're using your worldview and you don't have anything to support it with. So find that principle and gently oppose. And step three is to carefully teach. Show them why you're right and show them why it matters because they're made in the image of God too. They matter to him just as much as I do, just as much as you do. All of this means that we need to be in real friendships with people who aren't believers. So guess what? We can't just hang out with each other, guys. We got to have friends, people who we grow to love, people that we have actual friendships and actual relationships with who don't know Jesus because we are to go and make disciples of many nations, of all nations. So sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's what I have for you guys tonight. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, for something that we can always lean on. Thank you for your perfect scripture. I thank you that we can believe in the sufficiency of it. And God, I thank you for the the honor that it is to bring your word to your children. God, I pray that as we go on um, and out into our regular everyday lives, that, that we would love our neighbors, that we would use apologetics to not win arguments, but to win souls, because that's what matters. And so God, I pray all of these things in your son's glorious name. Amen.